You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and this episode is with Cold Specs. It's interesting, this album... Albums are bodies of work that you can't help but get lost in, you know? To allow yourself to be submerged by what an artist is aiming to achieve. As a host, I always want to delve into the deeper meanings of things to talk about what might have been missed. But what do you do when an artist's album really does tell it all? That's how I'd best describe this experience of Cold Specs. Her album, Fool's Paradise, is such a strong album that showcases those quiet moments of self-reflection we all go through, but we rarely share with others. It's really not the type of album you'd expect someone to feel comfortable talking about, and yet she humored my curiosity while she was last in Brooklyn. If you're unfamiliar with her music, I honestly cannot recommend it enough. Truly some great stuff, especially my favorite tune, New Moon. This is the 405 Exchange with Cold Specs. Enjoy. So I know not too long ago you did a European tour. How did that go for you? Yeah, it was good. Um, it was long. I think I started in in the UK and I hadn't toured the UK for quite some time. I used to live there. So it was nice to revisit cities. Um, for sure, I've done 48 shows now in about two months. So everything's quite the blur. Holy um, hell, 48 shows. It's ins- It's been insane. Wow, that, like, what's the longest gap that you had in between shows? Like, have you like been six ha- days? I think. Bloody hell, that's insane. Yeah, no, it's good. This is the last show, and like, <laughs> you must be feeling good I'm about that. I'm so excited, and it, it's really nice to play new songs and constantly, um, like, revisit the. But you know, music is the only kind of art that you have to revisit constantly, and it's yeah. um, and that can be excruciating. But I do, I am very appreciative. I actually, it's funny you bring that up because I specifically wanted to ask that about you in regards to the album because when, you know, I read a bit about the album before I listened to it and I listened to it and, like, I knew it was going to be a personal album before going into it, but it's a totally different experience actually listening to it and it's like, you put so much of yourself within that record. So, like, I can only imagine the live shows, it's probably a similar type of thing, isn't it? For sure. Um, I, uh... Yeah, I mean... It's uh, this this collection of songs deals. You know, you split yourself open, and you it, it's it can either go really well, and it could be like a party, uh, and um, and you allow people to dance inside your head, and that's cool. Yeah. And, like that's calm. I like that description. It's that's great. <laughs> but then it could be like um, vultures like eating you alive, you know. But that's <laughs> an, that's not good. Who are the vultures in this sense, though? Because it could almost be yourself. I imagine picking at yourself. I think. With this particular album, there there's a lot of the subject matter ranges from like love and loss. Uh, there are certain songs that deal with diaspora and identity, and you know, in the European tour, I had my mother's scarf on my microphone. I just thought it was really beautiful. I really loved it, and it's a traditional Somali scarf. Um, I didn't think anything of it, and the song, one of the songs, the title track, is called uh, "Fool's Paradise." I say I sing the word Aruelo, and she's an ancient Somali queen who I reference. And that moment, I take the scarf, and I would just like naturally just put it around me. Suddenly, the cameras are in front of you, and that's the moment that people capture for the show. Suddenly, there are headlines like "True Identity," and then it's like this excruciating narrative you want very much want to be excluded from, you know? Yeah. And um, that part was was very annoying, um, for sure. 
It's very strange how that works because it's like within the frame of context and what we're discussing, it's kind of like interesting how out of everything that would be experienced about the show, that'd be the one that would stick out. But imagine there's so much more dynamics that go into your shows considering how your music is. For sure. I mean, I, I play all the songs from the three three records, but you know, there are, there are love songs on the record. Um, and there are songs about decapitating my ex-lover, which is like, it's, really, it's a really playful song. Fucking relatable there, huh? Yeah, but no... You can swear, by the way. I forgot to tell you that at the start of this, but you can swear. I can swear, yes. okay. Um, so th- that, that part was, you know... That was, that's fun. But, you know, pe- people don't seem to ever talk about those songs. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I wanted to touch touch upon the fact, and we talked about this very briefly before we hit the recorder, but you lived in my home city of London for quite a bit, and you released your first album there. And I was wondering, what, like, what was that experience like for you, to like be there and then make music and release it? Like, um, I... Uh, I loved London. I was, I moved, I, I was living in Clapton before it got gentrified, and that was, um... It was great. It was affordable. I had a lot of space. I had a two-bedroom apartment to myself, which is like you, you'll that never. That is literally it's unheard, unheard of right now. now. Yeah. It's completely unheard of. So I was like, I was making music frequently, um, and then and then I um. I don't know. It's, prices suddenly went up, and I didn't want roommates, so <laughs> I moved to Montreal, um, and now I'm back in Toronto. Yeah, that's fantastic, and. Was the majority of this album made within Toronto or in between anywhere? Um, it was recorded in Montreal. I had a studio and in Toronto. Um, in Toronto, the studio is, is called Easy Life. Easy Life. And um, in Montreal. Hey. In Montreal, uh, I had my own studio where I wrote a lot of those songs. Um, I shared it with Tim Kingsbury from Arcade Fire and uh, one girl named Basha Boulet. Um, oh, I love her. She's, she's unbelievable. She's beautiful. Um, she's beautiful. And we, we, all, we all used to just make music together and um, hang out and sing. And um, That was great. It was nice to be able to afford to be productible. It's productive. Yeah. You know, what I love hearing about that is that when I was listening to Fool's Paradise and going through the tracks and when I was revisiting it, it very much felt like the state of mind you were in was, from just listening on the record, very much felt like you were in the state of mind where you felt very free within being creative, where it very much felt like you were living your creativity day in, day out. And was it very much like that for you, like being within that space? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I got to casually make my record over the course of two years, going in and out. Um, so things flowed naturally because I'm not on a studio clock, you know, and yeah. neuroplasticity was like a wall of manic sounds and um, I think that's probably had a lot to do with like, I don't know, there's a certain sense of like urgency with that album um, and that's probably because of the studio clock, whereas here it's it's calmer, it's, um, it's, like it's, it's much more easier to listen to. Yeah, you know, going through the specifics of your music, uh, it's been really interesting describing your music to like friends of mine, to, like tell them to like check it out and things like that. And for some reason, one of the words I keep finding myself returning to was the word atmosphere. 
I keep describing like how there's a sense of atmosphere from songs, a very specific uh, moods and vibes. And I wonder, like, do you feel like that rings kind of true for your music as a person who made it? Like that songs have specific moods and atmospheres to them? Is that very much important to you? I think so. Um, I definitely am I'm attempting to create a sense. I don't know. I want I want the sounds. I don't know. I guess so. I have no I have no answer to that. No. <laughs> I, don't well, know. Well, I guess there's a mood. It's not like a conscious decision, you know. I don't really analyze it thoroughly. It's just it just happens. Yeah, I guess like a good example for me would be like the title track because I think what really stuck out to me with that when I listened to it for the first time was just how much the lyrics and the instrumental portion of the song kind of like dance together. It kind of like goes in and out and ebbs in, but there's like this rhythm dance going to it. And like, I imagine for you when you're like, how much are you thinking about instrumentals when you're writing lyrics or is that so much far later? Um, it varies every time. Um, it varies every time. Sometimes uh, the sounds inform the words. Sometimes it's the other way around. Um, with Fool's Paradise, that song, that specific, the title track, existed in various forms. Um, and a song like Ancient Habits, same thing happened with that one. Where it, and Wildcard 2, where it just it was very loud at one point. Wildcard was the most bombastic song on the album. Really? It was, it was insane. Um, it made no sense. And it was called um, New Obsolete. And That's a good title. <laughs> I think we like sampled like distorted pig noises as well. Like it was, it, it sounded like it was probably straight off of neuroplasticity where it was, it, it could have been on that album, I think, but um, I decided to get rid of all that and probably for good reason. Yeah. yeah. You know, another song that I gravitated towards a lot. Made up the haze and focus. <laughs> Another song I found myself gravitating towards a lot was uh, New Moon. And I remember just like after I was hearing that, I thought to myself, I have to hear about how this song came together. Like, because that was a very standout track for me. Like, what's the story behind that, too? Uh, New Moon, Jimmy Eastack, a producer out of LA, he sent me a beat. Um, and I really liked it. And I wrote words, up, words on top of it. Um, and it's, it's supposed to be stagnant, it's not supposed to move. Um, it's just supposed to be stale, um, with my voice sort of floating all around it. Um, it's supposed to represent like deafening silence after heartbreak or and attempting to gather yourself together but not understanding how to do that because you've never really done that before. Nobody teaches you how to do that. But you don't know that until after it's done. Exactly. You know, like your quarter life is your quarter life crisis <laughs> is a pain in the ass. <laughs> But then Saturn Return comes, and it beats the shit out of you. <laughs> um, and that's what New Moon is a representation of. <laughs> I just love the... This is what I love about podcasts and that, is because like people can't see you, and they couldn't see the confident like face you made just now. But you know, this is what happens when this happens. <laughs> that was fucking grand. That comes across in the song, because like there is like a stilted quality musically within the song, of just like as the beat's going on. But you're right, your voice very much kind of like trembles and goes up and down. and. The song feels kind of icy in some ways, but like... Yeah, I'm a cold-hearted bitch, um, <laughs> if you do me wrong. And um, 
idea. I, I'm an, I wanted it to sound like uh, uh, a lost ice queen. <laughs> you fucking succeeded in that regard. <laughs> you know, I also loved fucking um, Wild Card. I think what was really cool about that track was, uh, well, first the track itself is really great, but also the video that you released for it. I thought what was so cool about that was like how the visual element was quite lo-fi and how fitting it was for the song. Like, was that a pretty good shoot for you for that video? Uh, I really loved. I really loved. Yeah, no, I loved that video. I made it with uh, Mac Boucher. Um, uh, and my like the studio I was working out of was next door to his studio, uh, and like I was like, hey, do you want do you have a VHS camera? Uh, and he, and um, we filmed it. We got a lot of haze and some lights and like s- some fabrics uh, that I used in some of the shoots. Um, just this like really reflective, beautiful, like illuminated fabric, um, and. Uh, I was like, uh, let's do this. And we did it in like an hour. <laughs> um, and it's an homage to 70s pop, uh, 70s and 80s pop music videos in Somalia, which are very simple. But I don't know, it was really, I, I really like those videos. So I just made one. Um, I just, it's not that deep. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, but it fits. Like, I think that's the amazing quality about it. Like, when you watch it and you hear the song, it's just very fitting. Like, imagine as an artist, when you think about what you want to represent your songs, like, that's the, the whole goal. Like, the fact that it works cohesively, I imagine. Or the yeah. Hope. I guess it's supposed to represent some sort of diaspora dreaming. Um, uh, yeah, it's like, uh, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. You know, with the way I've been raised and have lived my life, um, the concept of home has been very strange for me. I remember when I was 19, so I moved to the States properly when I was 12, and I remember between 12 to 19, I found myself feeling a bit unsettled and just kind of like, I got on with people here in the States, but I never really felt like a connection to it. And it wasn't until I went back to the UK when I realized that the very concept of home was very confusing and weird for me in that like I feel home here but I'm not tethered to it and when I go back to my actual home I don't feel home so it's almost like a very weird experience I bring that up because when I was reading about the album and how you were talking about your experiences you would mention like how the concept of home for you is particularly strange I just wanted to kind of explore that with you and how you felt related to your album um I I was born and raised in Toronto I left, I was conceived in Montreal, <laughs> um, and like when my mom was eight months pregnant with me, she, uh, winter hit in Montreal and she was like, fuck this shit, <laughs> fuck this shit, I heard it's 10 degrees less cold in Toronto, that's where I'm going, and so she went home, <laughs> she went to Toronto and she made a new home, and I popped out a couple weeks after. <laughs> And then I moved to London in 2010. I moved there for the first time in 2007, so like 10 years ago. Oh, wow. And I, I was spent like maybe a total of five years there. Um, then I left and I went to Montreal. And now I'm back in Toronto. I don't know, I think it's, I think I'm just, you know, I've I got I've gotten into astrology right and I'm an Aquarius. I think I'm just naturally detached. It's oh like, yeah. I don't, I don't Is that an element to Aquarius? My dad's an Aquarius. I think so. Oh. I think so. 
I don't know. I've never been to Somalia. I've, I don't really like Toronto. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's what it is. I don't know what home is. Next, next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I kind of want to explore this a little, specifically the aspect of Somalia, because, I mean, because what I think is really intriguing within reference to Fool's Gold is, um, like for me, my parents are French, and it's the type of thing where growing up, I didn't really find myself thinking too much about French culture, even though it was always around me. But then as I got older, specifically like maybe in the last two years, there was like this, I don't know what it was, just this thing to me of like wanting to know what that culture is about and like some of the history in the world or what makes the people a bit different and I wonder in regards to Somalia like what do you think it was that kind of sparked that intrigue for you when you would think about it uh, I moved back I started spending a lot of time with my family when I was making the album and I was living uh, I was like I, I, I ended a relationship left the city and I moved to Toronto uh, and I spent I was spending a lot of time with my little brother, who is 15 now, um, and I started noticing that, you know, he, we all, we all really, I, I speak fluently in Somali and I speak it, but with a Canadian accent. Uh, my elder sisters, who are twins, who were raised in Somalia, they speak Somali fluently with a Somali accent, like from straight from Mogadishu, and my my uh, baby brother doesn't speak any Somali. He speaks like a little bit of Somali, but he's definitely like the next generation, uh, where you know. And I was I, I, I it, things like that. I started noticing. Um, Yeah, you know, touching on that a little bit is that you, I mean, we didn't touch upon the fact that you sang Somali on the album. Like, you spoke, you sang in the Somali language, and I, uh, I wonder what that experience was like for you. Like, did that feel kind of cathartic, creatively? Yeah. Yeah, I sing the words, which means understand the difference between your bones and your soul. That particular song is a reflection to seeing my country on the news. And when the Muslim ban happened, I started to notice, you know, that, I, I mean, I always understood. I was, I think I was, I might have been desensitized for a little while, but when I, when I, when I saw my country on the news, I, I started to come to the realization that, you know, I, it's, it, it was a natural reaction to that. Um, those words, is, those are words my grandmother used to say to me and, um, yeah, I started writing the record after she died, and so I kept hearing, I kept hearing those words in her voice, um, and I just sang them. What was it like to hear yourself back, like after you, like after you recorded the song and you heard it back for the first time? Like, do you remember what that experience was like? Um, I don't really, I don't know. It, it was what it was. Who knows? Yeah. And you performed that song live, yeah? Yeah, it's the title track of the record. Yeah. Like I said, the record is a document of my Saturn return. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really great. You know, before I let you go, um, I read an interview that you did with The Fader where you mentioned, like, you feel as though your mind is always stuck between two worlds but you've learned to dance divinely between them. And I wonder how you feel about that now, because I think what's really intriguing as we started to talk about touring and like how you've done it for so many days, you now you've made this album, you've done some of the press for it, you've toured it for as long as you have, you've pretty much lived within the world within this album. Like, 
what's it kind of like within the confines of your mind where you're pretty much living within your creative output? Um, say that again. <laughs> oh, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> that was a bit of a mouthful, so I don't blame you. No, but you mentioned this interview how you feel like you're, I think the context was like being within day to day life and living within your creativity. And essentially, your job in your life is living within your creativity. And like, how you felt like you had to dance between two of those. I just meant, like, how do you feel about that today? Since it was like a while since you, you know, I wish I was a fucking painter. That's what I wish. <laughs> That's what I wish. Listen here. This is what I want. Like, yes. I want to just paint the shit once and never have to talk about it, never have to analyze it, because I'm not that, I'm just not that sort of person, right? And so this tour has been emotionally draining, physically draining, and like, maybe it's because there's 48 fucking shows in two months, and I don't know why I had that bright idea, and I'm telling you, I'm never doing that shit again. <laughs> I'm going to London, I'm going to New York, I'm going to LA, I'm, I'm going on vacation. <laughs> Somewhere tropical, hopefully. No, man. And so, no, I don't like revisiting this shit. I don't have a good time doing it. Like, it's. But you know, people love trauma, and they pay me money for it. So it's like, what? What am I supposed to? It's. It's fucked up. It's a fucked up fucking process. Yeah. And I am removed. Listen here. <laughs> I, I would very much like to be excluded from, in the words of Taylor Swift I would very much like to be excluded from this goddamn excruciating narrative like I'm going home <laughs> oh, you mean that would be a definite I'm not touring ever again if you can tell like fuck that shit man I'm it doing four shows in four cities <laughs> but you know it's yeah. I say this now and then yeah. when we get offered a tour I'm going to see the check and I'm going to take it yeah. <laughs> I mean I, to be honest like I mean I'm going to get the bags yeah. in the end like what do you do man <laughs> I mean I haven't toured the severity of you but I've toured before and it's the type of thing where it's like you really can't mentally prepare for it, it that's like such like you were saying before about so stupid it's very strange because it's like and then to explain it to people like to describe what touring is like from you know versus what people expect it to be like when you do that you realize how absurd it is it's so stupid. <laughs> really? It's so okay, stupid. Nice. But you do it because it pays it because no one buys records anymore. So what are you supposed to do? I want to make music. I enjoy doing this. I'm, I'd like to think I'm pretty good at what I do. So, you know, I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, <laughs> but then it's like people people don't buy albums. Everything's about streaming right now. So you have to make money this way. And, you know, I see, the, I see 48 dates and I see the check at the end of it. I'm like... Let's go. Yeah. And then, um, but it's not right. It really isn't. Like, it's, um, do you feel like it does anything to you creatively? Like, do you feel like it ever, like, not hinders, but like, because I've heard this from artists before. I remember talking to Paul Banks from Interpol about it a while back. He was saying, like, as much as the experiences he gets from touring could be great, to him, it's like the worst thing in the world touring and then having to write music right after. Like, what it does to his brain just almost makes it feel disconnected. That's why my second album is called Neuroplasticity. It means like the rewiring of your brain. Oh, and that's why it's like, it sounds like a collection of madness because I went on tour for three fucking years after the first record. Jesus Christ. Um, well, I started touring before the record. Then I was like, I did Jules Holland yeah. and then I made the record and the record came out in February. So I did Jules Holland in November, a record came out in February, and then I toured that record for two years, two, three years. So three years in total. And then Neuroplasticity was just like, fuck that shit. I think I just do that. I think I'm about to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> fuck it, huh? 
Right. But it's good to get, you know, but, you know, that, that type of honesty is important, though. Like, because it's, like, it's so easy. I, You know how you said, like, you wish you'd just be a painter? I think what's intriguing about, like, musicians and actors and entertainers, it's just, like, that analysis aspect. I mean, people delve into that, and it gives them context while they listen to your music sometimes. But what's intriguing for you guys is, like, I feel like sometimes it gives it gives you context you might not even thought about before where you're like oh my god do I really think that about this and how am I feeling right now but I could definitely see how it'd be exhausting it's just like just a constant pecking almost oh my god you get descended like you don't want to but by like week you know how many weeks are in three months fuck's sake okay listen what is that? like nearly 12 <laughs> it's insane so after about 12 weeks yeah you, you it's like December now so I'm telling you fuck this shit <laughs> Um, I'm done and I'll see you next time (laughs) (laughs) and on that note that'll be the first place to end it thanks for your time today thank you (laughs) of course